0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards, only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the Calm You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest and most confident self. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. I had such a good conversation with Emma Campbell. You might know her as Limitless M over on Instagram. And I've followed Emma for a while and been really inspired by her story, by her attitude to things. She's got so much to share and so much to teach. And she is such a brilliant storyteller. I loved hearing of her experiences. Now Emma is a mum of triplets. She's also got an older son as well. She first got diagnosed with cancer when her triplets were just babies and she shares her story of managing, struggling, you know, the things that she's learned through her experiences with the uncertainty and the anxiety of going through cancer treatment over the years. And she just shares so beautifully about the things that have helped her, the ways that she's struggled with things, how she stays positive and how she stays grateful. There's so much for us to learn from Emma's story and Emma's experience. So I also want to invite you to join me over on my website. I am blogging again. Do you remember blogs? Do you still read blogs? I've decided to write some blogs. I've got all sorts on there. And you can head over to my website, karma-u.com. I've got freebies on there as well, free anxiety toolkit. You'll find that at karma you.com forward slash free. There are worksheets and affirmations MP3, a hypnotherapy MP3 that you can download. That I think I'm confident will help you to feel karma within minutes, within literal minutes of listening to it. So hope you can get benefit from that. And yeah, let's get into the interview with Emma Campbell. So welcome Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you
0: today? I'm good, thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here and it's beautiful and sunny so that feels good.
1: Amazing. Can you can you share a little bit about your story
0: and and how you got to where you are today? Um, yeah. yeah, sure. So I, um, I guess my kind of, <laughs> the thrust of my story began in 2010, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, as a, a single mum to baby triplets and their big brother, who, who was six and a half. Um, I'd also recently split up from their father. So it was an incredibly challenging time, huge life events all happening within weeks and months of each other. Um, so that was the kind of <laughs> 11 years on now. Um, I look back over the last decade. And it's kind of quite hard to connect with all that's gone on and all that I've been through. And I guess, you know, all that I've come through as well um, those early years dealing with the diagnosis, the treatment, the surgery, um, looking after the babies, managing all the kind of ongoing drama were, were sort of terrifying um, and very, very challenging. But the kind of the hardest bit throughout it all was um. You know, when I once I got my all clear from my first diagnosis as a breast cancer patient, the emotional side of it was just sort of fairly torturous. I spent a long time living as though I was dying, even though, to all intents and purposes, I'd been told that I was, you know, as clear as clear could be cancer wise. Um, So that's that sort of turned into a very limiting, sort of fairly agonising way to live. If I'm honest, Um, I got my secondary diagnosis in. At the end of 2014, just as life was beginning to turn a corner, you know, I really felt like I'd kind of almost cracked it. Babies had grown up, starting reception. Um, I was nearly at the five-year clear, and I really started to feel like my life was opening up again. So that was an absolutely kind of blindsiding shock. And again, even more at that point, the the fear of death. The fear of what I decided was an imminent death, even though again I hadn't been told that at any point, just seemed to consume me. Um, And then two years ago, I was diagnosed for the third time. So I've been on ongoing cancer treatment for six years now. I have targeted chemo every three weeks um, and I'm doing well. I'm in remission, things are really stable, and I feel strong and well. But it's taken so many years for me to get to a place where I have found a way of managing my anxiety and how I live with an ongoing chronic situation alongside life you know all of the other stuff the the mum stuff the the relationships the you know all of it so um yeah so it's something I'm passionate about sharing you know through my writing through my speaking um sort of showing and, and just by sharing some of what helps me I guess I really hope that I can I can help others in some tiny way and help myself too along the way.
1: Yeah, gosh, that's amazing. And, you know, for, for anyone, you know, just having triplets, that would be such a,
0: you know, hugely
1: challenging thing, let alone having those health issues as well. Um, and yeah. I know that your your Instagram handle is Limitless M. And so you mentioned yeah. before about feeling really limited, you know, so so kind of moving through into becoming limitless. Can you say about a bit about With that?
0: Us? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Because that was a real. I was or my handle, you know, in my very sort of inactive social media was M plus four because I was M Emma with the babies, you know, with the kids. Oh, M with the four kids. So you know, I was M plus four, and um, and then you know, I changed the handle just around the time of my third diagnosis, so two thousand and nineteen, and just. Just around that time, it all kind of—I was building up. I'd hit my rock bottom a couple of years before that, and I was just sort of slowly, painfully, but bit by bit, finding a way of managing, you know, the ongoing sort of mental torment that I put myself through. And when the third diagnosis came, it was—it was a really pivotal point. And like, you know, there's a story about that, but it was a kind of a real mindset shift and. So changing my handle to Limitless M coincided with me finally kind of stepping into a new way of thinking. And actually, not just a new way of thinking, because I'd always been on a sort of self-development path, but actually finding a way of putting, putting those beliefs that I'd always read about into practice, actually walking the talk, I guess, you know. So the Limitless M handle was very much a not so much, oh, oh god look at me I'm so limitless it was more like a daily affirmation it was like a reminder to myself because I fundamentally believe that we all are limitless and we all have incredible limitless potential so it really was a kind of reminder to me and reminder to anyone that fundamentally we are all limitless even if we're not feeling it so by no means do I you know I'm not permanently in a state of of limitless thinking but I always try and come back to that
1: I love that as an affirmation to you know, to remind ourselves, you know, if we are going mm. through something challenging that people yeah. talk about this on your Instagram, we we're we're so much more than we think we are and we have so much so many more resources than we think we do. Yes. Um so yeah, it's really inspiring. Um can you say a bit about, you know, what's what's it been like being the mum of a mum of triplets? You know, that, that kind um, of someone that doesn't have children yet and wants yeah. to be a mum soon, you know, that you know sounds very overwhelming
0: it is overwhelming and it's it, it it's always been overwhelming I mean it, it they they're they're miracle you know wonderful babies that are now 11 and a half year old children who just started secondary school um they came about I mean I had my eldest son um who came come about sort of very quickly and, and easily but not without drama which I, I won't launch into now but his pregnancy was very difficult with him and I caught a flesh-eating bug um, after having him, so I sort of nearly died after I had him. It was pretty horrendous. So, but he was, you know, I as many, you know, I really did just sort of fall in love with him, um, and he was just, you know, my my boy and my kind of, you know, the centre of everything. And the relationship was was quite sort of up and down and quite volatile. Um, so, Jake, my oldest son, really just was my little sidekick Um, but you know um, we started trying for a second baby when Jake was about two and a half and nothing happened and it took nearly four years to conceive and in that time I had recurrent miscarriages and and the obsession for what I thought would be one more baby sort of grew and grew and grew and so the longing the desire the all-consuming kind of need to to complete what I thought my vision of a family was because I really feel that everyone has whether it's one child, too often depending on what they grew up with, you know. For me, it was kind of two children. That's what I'd experienced, um, and that would be that would be my my idea of my family complete. And no one can tell you when you're in the grip of that longing for a baby. And I just sort of described it in my book as almost like my womb was bullying me because I couldn't I couldn't rationalise these desires. They were so so they dominated everything. And, you know, it was very tough on my relationship. It was, it was a distraction from any other part of, of life. But anyway, so we we eventually embarked on, on IVF and we had one round of IVF. And obviously it worked. Um, at the first scan, we were told that we had twins. So, you know, they, had two, two strong heartbeats, twin one, twin two. And it was like, oh, okay, we, we can just about do this. And then had, as a result of, the IVF we were given lots of regular scans twin one twin two twin one twin two and then we got to the five month 20 week scan which is the big one and suddenly you know the room had gone very quiet and little Theo um was discovered hiding away so I didn't find out I was having triplets until I was five months pregnant so that really upped the ante of everything you know it really took kind of what was already quite a oh oh my god okay we can do this you know we're living in a two-bedroom flat but don't worry we'll find a way to kind of gosh this you know this is very unexpected um anyway yeah three babies are born healthy well absolute miracle and I look at them every day and and can't quite believe that that they're here but I'd also be lying if if I said it hasn't been incredibly challenging incredibly difficult I mean even in a as a as a co-parenting you know those early days of newborn triplets feeding I mean feeding you know three babies three tiny babies they were born eight weeks early they were feeding every two two and a half hours and each feed would take about two hours so if you can imagine it you just there was just no sleep um and it was just it was constant and they were all by that point my were on the cusp of separating, so the kind of there were three Moses baskets around, and it was just a relentless blur of day day after day. But alongside that, unfortunately, I was also very aware of changes in my breasts, but I was ignoring them because there was so much drama going on. There was so much sort of fatigue and and survive. You know, I was already in that kind of survival mode, just putting one foot in front of the other. Um, when when they were six months old, I was diagnosed, so that just took everything to a whole new level so it really was I look back at those times and it's quite painful still for me to look back at those early days because the tragedy is I wanted them so desperately and they came and they are they were well and thriving and but I felt where was the joy where was the time to actually you know connect and, and just enjoy enjoy their existence. It really was on a very practical level, it was just go, 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 but also on an emotional level, my head was so absorbed with with all the other stuff that was going on. Um, but you know, and they were handed around, there was a lot of, you know, wonderful, we live in I live in a busy part of London, but that incredible feeling of community when I was diagnosed and when I became a single mum that everyone from distant neighbours to old school friends, everyone rallied around and kind of there's a lot of baby passing around going on. You know, one friend driving me to chemo, another friend driving, walking one baby around the common, another friend, you know, feeding another baby. It was very, very practical at all times. So even now it's kind of, I still now, it's only quite rarely that I catch a moment where I think, oh, this is a calm moment this is a moment where we're all together and everything's okay and there's a feeling of peace um how wonderful and I try and really bank it but still if I'm honest you know it's there's a lot of chaos there's a lot of noise there's a lot of fighting (laughs) we're a very uh, noisy loud um competitive you know door slamming and fighting over who had the biggest bit of everything you know but they're wonderful they're a gift but it's it's (laughs) full-on Yeah, sounds sounds ama- sounds amazing, and
1: yeah, I'm I'm glad you had that community around you in in North London and, and people around. I know you know so many people. I mean, I, I've just decided to move back to my hometown to be closer to my parents, so that if I hopefully have a baby, then I'm having that kind of support because I just yes. yeah I can imagine it's so difficult. I mean, it's difficult
0: anyway, but without sort of support, I imagine really really difficult. So, I can't yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine things feeling harder than they felt but the idea of me not having had even though I was going through a very difficult time with the breakup the I knowing that at the end of the phone or around the corner there were there were often if I'm on it women you know amazing kind of community of 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 women in particular you know that mm. really held me up um yeah. which is priceless
1: mm. yeah yeah can, can, you, can you talk a bit about how, you know, what were some of the things that helped you to cope, you know, when things were really challenging, you know, through the uncertainty
0: and, um, um, yeah. Honest, honestly, at that time, I don't feel like there was much that helped emotionally. I mean, physically, everyone did what they could to give me rest. So I would get the odd night where it would be arranged that I could get a full night's sleep or very, very, very occasionally I'd, I'd take my eldest son away to my best friends for one or two nights just to get a little bit of, it was kind of like respite and the babies were tiny and, you know, they were fine. Um, but emotionally uh, there was a, there was a long period of time where it didn't really feel like anything helped because having come through the, the cancer, um, I didn't know how to live. I didn't know how to, to, to put it somewhere. And, you know, it's something that's talked about a lot that often when the treatment ends, that, that really is when the kind of the tough phase begins in terms of your recovery, because you're kind of, as my oncologist described it, you can feel very lost at sea. You know, you've left that sort of safe, very scheduled cocoon of, of a chemotherapy ward or dates in your diary and a whole schedule of treatment, everyone focusing on you. And then life, you know, you, you your hair grows back, you start getting a physical energetic spring in your step again but actually inside you're kind of why aren't I feeling like the luckiest person alive I'm here why why am I and so I look back and that's why again you know the idea of being able to share any of what I've learned has helped me now to someone who's newly diagnosed is feels so important because I didn't seem to be able to find any relief back then. And as my journey has gone on with the kind of, you know, first diagnosis, second, third, um, I've just slowly but surely sort of cobbled together a bit of a toolbox, an emotional toolbox that I draw on and my kind of, I guess I've got my small handful of, you know, go-to, whether it's a belief, whether it's a practice, whether it's the running, whether it's the the kind of, you know, coming from a place of gratitude, it's um, slowly but surely, and it doesn't. And I still struggle. You know, I still find going to the hospital every three weeks, even on the on the best days where it feels routine, and I know that I'm not going to hear anything or I'm not expecting any news. It's never easy, but you've I found a way, I guess. And a lot of that is based on also having become part of the most incredible online community and seeing how other 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 patients and survivors and lifelong secondary patients live and cope and manage and that's that's probably been the fundamental um, that was the start of the turnaround for me I think because before that before I stepped into the online world I was completely on my own in my head with it
1: Mm. because I didn't know
0: anyone else and I didn't want to go online I didn't want to walk into a support group in a building somewhere I didn't want to be connected with like oh and I've got a friend who I didn't want that I didn't want to hear anyone else's stories I was too scared um but the thing that I found about you know Instagram in particular is that I've been able to step into that world in a way that suited me so initially sort of tentatively sort of from the out you know from the sidelines and then bit by bit kind of stepping in speaking up other people speaking about their vulnerability and it's just been the most incredible kind of melting pot of love and support and shared vocabulary Mm. Um, and we're all at different stages where we've all got you know different ways of coping we've all got we've all got different words written on a medical report that may or may not dictate our future but there's there, there will always be a shared language that virtually just by a like or a little message on a DM or watching someone's stories you just think oh okay you know I I can do that too or I feel like that too today
1: Mm, yeah yeah do do you think there are a lot of people who are going going through cancer who don't have access to a community or don't you
0: know like you maybe it's too scary to go to the support group or to follow other people I think there must be. I mean, I think for me, like eleven years ago, I don't feel like like I look back even as a, as a mum, and I think, gosh, all these, you know, if you know, when you have your your little one, you know, there'll be there'll be a a, a new parent community that you, you know you might be feeding a baby in the middle of the night, and you might go online, you know, and and see the, uh, someone else. And I look back now, even as a mum, and think, God, how amazing would that have been, you know, eighteen years ago when Jake was born, to know that you know, in those sleepless nights. And I think, so I, in my world, I think, well, gosh, everyone's got access to that now, regardless of their age, but not, it isn't for everybody. Obviously, social media isn't isn't for everybody at all. So, and I hate to think of anyone sort of struggling on their own, feeling that whether it's a geographical isolation or a mental and emotional isolation, I, I that's, but I just, I all I do know is that this community is growing and growing and growing. And unfortunately, because, more and more people are getting diagnosed, but the, it's an enormous community. So, whether or not you want to be an active part of it, or whether you just want to take the little bits that help you, it's there. And I would really, really, you know, suggest gently suggest for someone who's newly diagnosed when they're ready to just, even just, you know, anonymously from behind, you know, from the comfort of a an account that they don't—they don't have to share anything, but just to kind of observe how other people are managing. Because we've all got so much that we can share with each other, and that's—it's transformative, I think.
1: This episode of the Calm You podcast is sponsored by my online course, Your Calmest Self. It's a course that gives you the tools to manage your anxiety without having to quit your life, move to an island and meditate for 10 hours a day. So this course is for you if you're somebody that constantly worries about what other people think of you you hold yourself back from setting big goals because you're anxious and overwhelmed and unable to move forward with things. It's for you if you flop into bed every night exhausted by another anxious day wishing you could just switch off and relax. It's for you if you don't speak up about things because you're nervous about getting it wrong or what people will say, whether they'll judge you. And it's for you if you've got a loud inner critic that puts you down all the time and stops you from doing the things that you want to do in your life. If this sounds like you, I'm here to help you change that. In this online course for Anxiety, Your Calmer Self, I teach you the tools and techniques to become a calmer and more confident version of yourself. I use powerful hypnotherapy recordings and exercises from Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, NLP, Positive Psychology and more. If you'd like to live an anxiety-free life of confidence and calmness, come and take a look at my course at karma-calmer you.com forward slash program. So it's karmau.com forward slash program. Yeah. And and can you share a bit about what you know the things that you've learned that have helped you to cope? You mentioned before like a
0: toolbox of things that you can kind of call on. Can yeah. you share what that is for you? Yeah, like I said a few minutes ago, I've always been someone who kind of had the teetering pile of books, you know, by my bed, the kind of, you know, self-help, you know, the kind of going way back, Louise Hay, affirmations, feel the fear and do it anyway, then moving on to sort of law of attraction, Abraham Hicks. I've always had a belief that in expansive thinking, you know, and knowing that through challenging circumstances, growth happens and wonderful things can come out of the darkest times. But I was very good at talking and, and still not able to really connect. And I think there was a rock bottom. I I sort of had a a terrible mental sort of rock bottom a few years ago around the time of my honeymoon and just joyless, you know, just absolutely joyless. And it was really hard for everyone around me to see me on paper well, but just, it was, it was completely paralyzing the, the, the fear. And I've always sort of, you know, you hear about oh, gratitude, practice gratitude, but it just started to kind of keep coming up this idea of kind of looking at things from a different perspective. And I remember on my fridge, I, I bought a postcard and it said, replace anxiety with gratitude, or replace thoughts of anxiety with gratitude. And I had it on the fridge and I, and I just used to look at it and it just gradually kind of, that was, I, I think the kind of seed of change. So I kind of talk about you know kind of it started with thank you so just this idea that I could be sitting in the hospital waiting room feeling absolutely terrified of my name being called of a scan result of a no caller ID but almost in a kind of just by literally mumbling thinking saying thank you over and over again you know thank you for the chair thank you for the water and my glass thank you for the for the shoes on my feet thank you for the ground beneath me just however hard it felt to really you know just by saying it and just by finding a list any anything to focus on it would bring me back to the now it would inevitably diminish take me away from those dark thoughts even just for a moment so that was like the kind of first step and then gradually again through kind of you know learning more about the kind of mind-body connection and really how incredibly powerful our thoughts are. Realising that I talk about kind of turning the volume down on the thoughts that don't serve us. So for me, the cancer dial was always an absolute kind of, you know, eardrum splitting top volume. That noise was loud and overwhelming all the time. Um, and Sort of this idea of how can I, if the if the cancer volume's at ten, how can I, what thoughts can I think to turn it down to a nine, eight, seven, six? Whether that's just a, a distraction, whether it's saying thank you, whether it's consciously choosing to think about something, anything, anything at all that gives me a feeling of ease, you know, and that kind of emotional guidance sort of system and the emotional scale. If you can't go from a face from a place of desperate Hopelessness to joy and elation, but you can go from despair and fear to a tiny chink of relief or a tiny feeling of, do you know what I mean? It's almost like pivoting up that kind of emotional scale. And that's what Mm -hmm. I've really become aware of and I really consciously practice. And I don't always, you know, doesn't mean by any way that I never have those dark thoughts. The tapes are always running. But rather than that kind of, boulder of the sort of cancer boulder or whatever it is that your struggle is sort of being here and me taking it with me wherever I go and it blocking out the sun it's almost like right how do I turn the volume down I almost shrink this big black boulder down to something that's a little bit more manageable and get, you know it's all these kind of analogies I guess mm, yeah um, yeah love that and and the the sort of I mean I've told this story a lot but it is it was again, it was probably a, a top five life defining moment for me, um, which, yeah, you know, I have I have shared a lot um, is on the day of my third diagnosis, two and a half years ago. Um, and Jake, my eldest son, was 15 at this point. Um, yeah, two and a half years ago. And I got the phone call in the afternoon from the oncologist to say yes you know the cancer had progressed again and this was the situation and this is what would need to happen so my husband rushed home from work my father and his wife you know rushed around the corner so and Jake my son unexpectedly walked in from school a little bit early to find us in the kitchen me looking ashen you know my dad with sort of quiet tears streaming down his face This kind of black Monday you know this awful feeling of Oh my god, you know, and at that point we thought that I had a tumour on my lungs. So it felt like a very, very dark, a dark day. And Jake was very is a quite quiet boy, and at that point, even younger than he is now. And he just again just looked a bit stricken and just sat very quietly. So everyone else is talking and kind of, what are we doing? You know. And then I just looked at Jake and I said, come on, let's just go out for a for a walk. So we just walked to the common, which is round the corner, walked to the cafe, got him a hot chocolate. And I veered between kind of being very, you know, the parents. Don't worry, darling. It's going to be okay. You know, this is what needs to happen, and I'm just going to have chemo again. And to, you know, voice cracking, emotion spilling over. And he just was very, very quiet all the way, and just sort of nodding quietly, asking the odd question, but just really listening. And just as we got to the exit of the common, just before we headed back home, he said. Mum, you've just got to live like it's not there. And it was one of those moments that even every time I think of it, I sort of get goosebumps because it was, without over-dramatising it, it was a huge moment for me. And it felt, I mean, it sort of stopped me in my tracks and it felt as though those words had come from somewhere other than a 15-year-old boy, you know. And it was absolutely kind of, yeah you're you're right that's what I knew I need to live like it's not there and so this side and that ties in with this feeling of you know we've all got an it haven't we we've all got something that is potentially the, the boulder that blocks out the sun or the noise that is at top volume how do we find a way of living with with the challenges without those challenges coloring every other aspect of our lives so that was the kind of point where I just really took things to another level I guess of real determination and conviction to to live as big and bold a life as I possibly can despite the uncertainty Um, around that time I started running um, I met a new friend who's who was passionate about running and she sort of took me with her and you know i'm training for i'm running my second marathon in a few weeks and very slowly very you know unimpressively but i'm doing it and it's kind of but for me it's 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 an amazing way of connecting with my physicality in a positive way it reminds me that my body is strong and resilient and that i'm here and it grounds me and so i feel i feel incredibly lucky that i've found some ways of managing a situation that's never going to be easy because even if by a miracle i'm lucky enough to stay as well as i am now forever i will still always be a cancer patient i will never get that kind of day of you know I'll never get that guarantee so it's yeah it's navigating life i guess in in the best in the best way for us as individuals
1: mm, yeah gosh thank you for sharing that really powerful and um yeah what you were saying about kind of turning down the dial on the volume of the mm. those thoughts. I really like that idea of um almost kind of like visualizing that somehow and you and you kind of you made a movement as you were talking about this kind of make yeah it older, almost like you're trying to make it smaller. Exactly. Because actually, you know, I, I work as a hypnotherapist and a lot of what we're doing is kind of using vi- visual visualization mm. to change things it's amazing how that mm. can work you know we can actually imagine turning down a dial and those thoughts exactly. down so I love that you you, you know you shared that and I it's so powerful that. It,
0: it, yeah and actually kind of just expanding slightly on that on that kind of idea is again around you know over the last couple of years when I've had when all these kind of thoughts of have Slotted together for me in a way that I really sort of practice and access as often as I need to and as often as I can is the idea that, you know, we all have, we all say, it's easy to say, I don't want to be defined by whether it's my disease or my circumstances or this condition or that condition. But that's also helped me kind of really lessen the definition of being a cancer patient, as in, you know, I can. I can look at my or I can imagine my body from top to toe and think, OK, on paper, I have cancer. I'm a secondary breast cancer patient, but the top of my, my head doesn't have cancer. My toes don't have cancer. My smile does, will never have cancer. My eyes don't have cancer, you know, and it's let alone my heart and my soul and my spirit. And, you know, when I was re-diagnosed two and a half years ago, I could think, OK, there's the cancer's here. There's, a, there's some cancer here and there's some cancer there, but look at all the other parts of me. And scientifically that might not be accurate because an oncologist might say, well, actually the cells are all, but, I, but, you know, from a kind of using it as a tool point of view, if I can look at my arms and my elbows and my knees and my thighs and think they are cancer free, mm. again, it just helps minimize, you know, it just helps it just helps minimize the the impact
1: mm. yeah I love that I love that that's interesting someone um I saw someone the other day and they they say they you know they're feeling anxious but you know what the t- tip of my nose isn't anxious you know my fingers it's are anxious. anxious you know my toes yeah. are anxious and you can use it for kind of anything really to just yeah. remember that it's not this all-consuming thing it is quite a contained yeah. thing really and we can yeah. just I love that idea of just shifting your mindset in that way yeah
0: but it's not, you know, again, it's like, it took a decade, you know, it's, I'm so aware as well, that it's, if you're reeling from a new diagnosis, if you're reeling from, you know, I've had a decade kind of, it's also part of a process, isn't it? I've, mm-hmm. I've had to find a way of living with, with it. So, you know, I would never say to someone who's reeling from an initial diagnosis, I mean, I could share some of what helps me, but I, it, you've also got to, Go through those different phases and, f- and find your way. You know, mm.
1: yeah, I think that's important to say, isn't it? Because we mm. we often don't, you know, understandably, no one wants to feel bad, no one wants to feel anxious or scared or negative feelings, mm. and we kind of almost, I think, sometimes make ourselves wrong for feeling that. Like we should be able to deal with stuff. Like I should be able to cope, or it's not okay yeah. that I'm feeling this um yeah. Or we try different techniques to try and make ourselves feel better, and if they don't work, we might feel like we're a failure. We're not doing it yeah. well enough. But actually, do you think there is just a part of like sometimes we just have to go through stuff, like we have to go through
0: those big feelings? I, I think so, and and it's like sometimes I veer between kind of you know I've had lots of therapy in the past, and and I but I think more and more I, th- I think we do. I think you can't kind of you can't leapfrog. You know, I'm not great. As much as I sort I feel like I work on myself. I'm not great at sitting with uncomfortable feelings. You know, I'm not. I don't find it easy at all. I, I, I just want them to stop. So you know, even now, recently, you know, it's been quite a challenging patch. You know, for other reasons, and I, I just really struggle with that discomfort. Whereas someone else might find that they might find that easier to cope with, or they just trust it more, or surrender to it. Um, but I think it. we we have we have to allow that things to unfold but I think there's a balance between allowing things to unfold and also just being mindful of not not getting stuck in a limiting belief you know and so I think more and more now I'm recognizing that you know the trauma that I've experienced has dictated a lot of my reactions today so like you know all of anyone who's Waited for a hospital call. The no caller ID. The no caller ID is a trauma because in the past that no caller ID has given me bad news. So that's that. That was a snapshot. That's that's what you know. That's why of course I react the way I do now. Um, So it's but it's again it's bringing ourselves back to the, the the understanding that we're reacting that way based on what we've been through. But actually maybe our reality right now calls for a gentler reaction if we can it's it's a work in progress isn't it because there's no point I often say there's no point where you think well I've got (laughs) I'm stumbling and learning as I go and tripping up and you know head in my hands one minute and flying high the next but I think and again that's what's so incredible about all of these conversations that we all just open up to each other and share our vulnerabilities and our growth and our Stuckness and our expansion, but we can all just, you know, take little bits from each other. I think
1: definitely. And I think it can be so easy to look at someone else that's going through something maybe the same thing as you or something different and to, to kind of assume that they're handling it that they like it's neat and contained and tidy. Yeah. And we're a complete mess. Yeah.
0: and like, oh, I well, know, actually, I know, it's is not the case. It's I mean, never that, yeah, it's never that,
1: yeah. yeah. And also, because- I'm always sorry sorry um sorry. i was going to say um we can't know how someone is handling it it's like you can't be inside someone else's nervous system and know exactly like they may look totally okay and calm and together and actually inside it's like very you
0: know, oh my goodness. they're going through I know. it so i know and that's why i think it is so important to share if you are if you are there's no obligation to share anything but if for those of us who are quite comfortable with sharing the nitty gritty. I think it's so important to, to, to share all of the, the colors, the, spe- you know, the shades, the shades of it all, mm. because I'm very aware as well that, you know, I do, I do post a lot about running and I'm, I, I run a lot because it helps me so much mentally. And I'm also very, very aware that I'm in a place where I'm, I can run. I've, you know, that I'm well enough and strong enough to run. And But I'm acutely acutely aware of how hard that must be for someone else who isn't currently able to make their body work for them in that way. So, but I think we just have to also not shrink ourselves as well. Just you know, because I'm well enough to be running, I I I have to remind myself I don't have to play that down either you know mm. again because we're all just where we're at and we're all just doing our best
1: absolutely yeah yeah what about in terms of like since covid times you know mm. how have
0: things how have you kind of managed the changes and the challenges that that's kind of brought up um I think like many of us I think at the beginning we all kind of almost felt the the relief of, of being able to of not of the expectations disappearing of having to be at home. And, and I, and I felt as a, from a parental point of view, there'd been so many years of me not feeling present with the kids because of mainly because of anxiety. You know, you can't be present in the moment when you're convinced that something's bubbling away, that's going to kill you, you know, however irrational that might be in that moment. Um, and I know that that's affected my, those thoughts have affected my parenting in a way that I feel really sad about and I struggle still with with guilt about that. But so at the beginning of lockdown last year, it was, wow, we're actually all together. And I'm, I'm sort well, of, I surrendered to it. And then of course the reality and, you know, wore off very quickly and it was a challenge. Um, I, I sort of realized again, like I think lots of us have that I, I'm quite introverted and, and I, I really love my own company. I need my own company and I, I need my own time and I need silence and I need to be alone and I need to be able to shut myself away. And if I, I very quickly sort of become depleted, if I feel like I don't have any headspace. Um, so that's kind of. yeah. So there was those just craving solitude and silence, but also at the same time, knowing that the fact that we were all together and safe and well. Was also something to cherish, you know. Mm. But um, yeah. yeah, and I think like again, I think lots of us are feeling like our world, the world, has opened up again. But I think most of us are still have stepped into it a lot less. You know, there's a lot of things that we haven't picked up again. Mm. You know, I, I and it feels e- a bit easier to say no. I feel like I don't, I don't want to go out as much as I used to. Not because I'm scared of catching COVID, but more don't need to or I don't need to you know I like home I actually really like being at home
1: yeah I think um yeah it's been interesting for the introverts I think some people have found that like not having to go places has yeah been a relief in some ways or not having to to be around people so much has been a bit of relief and I know it is difficult for those who you know and, and then getting invited to things again and maybe don't want to yeah. go back to kind of their life before or don't want to I know or it, it's triggered sort of social anxiety yeah and like
0: definitely that. I think and com- confidence I feel and my Dave my husband and I've talked about this we both struggled this year as things were slowly getting back to normal kind of ish <laughs> I and we've both had real low periods in the last few months probably more so than last year um I think a, loss of yeah a bit of confidence crisis or identity or who yeah questioning things you know mm-hmm. and I, I know that there's been a real feeling of energetically of oh things feeling quite tough or and maybe not even quite able to put your finger on it but just maybe it's like a residual we've all just been through something so enormous mm-hmm. um that's hard to articulate in a way it's you know I think and we're probably still I don't think we still really get it and probably haven't begun to process what it's what it's really been like and the effects.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different factors, you know, whether it's, you know, health things or financial things or people losing jobs and parenting and all those things just getting very intense. So, yeah, so much, so much. But yeah, thank you for sharing that um yeah I, I suppose uh, just lastly um as a mm. final kind of question is there anything else that you want people to know listening any other kind of message that you have for people um that you wanted to share lastly I
0: think I think the the we're probably reiterating that the feeling that it's a really passionate belief that the thoughts we think and the words that we use and where we place our energy is so incredibly powerful and has such an impact on how our life unfolds. And that doesn't, you know, and again, I'm, I sort of hold back sometimes because I, I know that I'm sitting here saying that, and I'm not in a hospital bed at the moment. I'm not in a, you know, and But I think I do still feel that whatever unfolds for me, however critical things might get, however unwell I may be at some point, I still know that I will, however much despair I might feel in the future, I still know and I'm convinced that I will still find a way of accessing the belief that I can control my, I can choose to, to think the thoughts that offer a feeling of ease and relief and really allow myself to think about the life I want and the vision a vision of the future that I want to step into and really that we can make change and that anything is possible and it's really important that we don't allow ourselves to be defined by a diagnosis or a label or a, a condition that we realize that we're bigger than all of that and you know, I refuse to, you know, I'm sort of passionate and proud to be part of the cancer community in a way. And, but I still, I will never put in a bio, and this is no judgment for, for me personally, I will never put, you know, incurable cancer in my, even though I'm a stage four secondary breast cancer patient, not just for my own personal reason that that doesn't help me. It doesn't help me because, okay, maybe that, it's absolutely true. and I'm sure on paper it is, but it doesn't serve me in any way to, to attach myself to that um, because yeah. And I'm just passionate at the more I understand in my very ill-educated way about the power of the mind and the power of our thoughts and being disciplined with our thoughts, you know, and mm-hmm. expanding on what is working in our lives and pivoting away from what isn't you know I think
1: Mm, yeah living like it's not
0: there
1: yeah yeah so beautiful thank (laughs) you I feel very inspired talking to you and thank you yeah just your your energy and your the you know what you've shared I think it it gives a lot of hope I think whether people have been through what you've been through or are worried about things in the future I think so much of anxiety is worrying about things in the future just knowing that you know there are things that we can do to still find positivity and and Mm. gratitude and you know working on keeping our thoughts you know and and our vision for the future I think it's just really inspiring so yeah yeah thank Thank you you so much for everything you shared so so thank you so much for having me it's been a lovely chat thank you yeah thank you and where can people find out more about you and and your work and I know you do writing workshops and that sort of thing
0: yeah absolutely So obviously. Um, well, Instagram is a fairly easy way to find me. Um, Limitless M on Instagram, um, on my website limitlessm.com. Um, I'm, yeah, I I speak. I do a lot of speaking work, and I'm working very slowly on book number two. And alongside that, I in recent months I've begun holding some virtual expressive writing workshops, which are really lovely, gentle safe supportive sort of sessions um where we just get the words out on the page you know that kind of stream of consciousness no rules other than keeping the pen moving um and they're proving to be amazing for really unearthing you know memories sort of inspiration wisdom um creativity and just kind of connecting with ourselves in a really lovely way so yeah but it's all it's all on my you know Instagram bio and website and, um, yeah, I'm very much around and about, invisible most days, chatting on stories. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's great.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for everything you share. It's been great to, great to chat. Thank you. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you. And I'll speak to you again soon. You have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Brotherridge. Don't forget you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmau.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions